Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to the pod. This is your host Andy Barge here. Just a quick word before this episode starts to say that if you live in Glasgow or the surrounding area, I'm hosting a sports quiz at Walkabout on Monday the 17th of July. So that's the pub just underneath Cineworld in Glasgow City Centre. It starts at half seven and the prize is a bar tab for your team. And the good news is that pints are just 2 50 on Mondays, not even just for students, so that's a bit of a bonus. And aside from that, there are no other sports quizzes going on in Glasgow right now, so if you fancy putting a squad together and giving it a go, then it'd be great to see you there on the night. I'm really looking forward to it myself, putting the quiz together, so just DM me or get in touch with Hawkabout directly if you want to book a table. Cheers! Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, it slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths... Having got the goal, goes again! Quick bug and drags it down now. Long we out. What a goal! Here comes up, chance goal! Scotland has scored! It's Andy! It's Dykes! It's Mitchell! Welcome to the Hand and Roar podcast. What a season it was for Scotland. We're now actually probably closer to the start of next season than the end of the one we've all just enjoyed as Scotland fans. So what better way to spend an hour of your time than reliving it on the hand and roar with me, your host, Andy Barge, and our esteemed guests, Gordon Sheik of the Tartan Scarf and Barry Anderson of the Scotsman and Edinburgh Evening News, taking some time out of his transfer window beat to join us here on the podcast. Thanks very much, Barry and Gordon. Look, Gordon, I have to admit, this was your brainchild. Nice little text I woke up to the other morning. How about we do a season review? Yeah, absolutely. No, delighted to. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just thought, you know, I've, I've, as I'm sure you guys have been as well. I've, I've spent quite a lot of the last couple of weeks just kind of smiling to myself and just reminiscing about not just how good this last couple of weeks have been, but then you look back to this entire season has been absolutely brilliant. You know, we've, we've gone an entire season unbeaten in competitive games, six wins, one draw. And really you've got to go for as far back as, you know, 2017 to get anything even close to as good. You know, when we ended World Cup qualifying, we went the calendar year in 2017 unbeaten. But obviously we we started that season with, with losses away in Slovakia and England. So yeah, this season, I think it, just, it stands alone in recent memory as being so bloody good that I think it's just worth coming together and just, yeah, reminiscing about it. Like you said, the best players, moments, memories, goals, etc. Well, a quick recap, because a year ago, we were still probably feeling quite 
freshly wounded from the games against Ukraine and Ireland and Dublin. We we approached them with such an air of, well, certainly the Ukraine one, Barry, such an air of anticipation. And uh, after the delay and everything, it kind of had an air of inevitability really about it, I felt at times, rather than excited anticipation. And in the summer, we were in an okay spot in the Nations League after losing in the World Cup playoff. We were in an okay spot in the Nations League. We beat Armenia twice, but we got a doing over in Ireland. And our first game back after the season started, we were 45th in the world rankings and we had Ukraine at home. Now, guys, that was an absolutely magnificent night to be a Scotland fan. We dominated them. How do you remember that one come to you first, Barry? Yeah, just such a contrast really from the previous Ukraine game. And I was a bit fearful going into that match because Ukraine really gave us a runaround in the World Cup playoff, as we all remember. Uh, despite the fact that the the players hadn't played for or a lot of the players hadn't played because of the war uh, for for a few months, so coming into that game, you were you were again the old Scotland adage. You would probably have taken a draw given what had happened in June, and to blow them away like that, you know, three nil, and it, and it it wasn't you know three nil that flattered Scotland. Three nil actually flattered Ukraine that night. You know they were so dominant, could have scored four or five. Um, complete control of the midfield, which is again, in my, in my mind, a, a contrast to the game in, in June when Ukraine were dominant, dominant all over the park, but particularly in the middle, just looked so much more fresher, energetic than Scotland did. And that almost flipped on its head when they came back and when they played them in the Nations League. And for me, that game was probably the one that set the tone for where we are now. Um, it, it just it, it totally turned confidence levels, seemed to, the belief I think was there, but it certainly raised a lot after that game and just the manner of the performance and the way the Ukrainians were so sort of easily swept aside. And some of it, some of it was easy, you know. And that, that, the way that game panned out was, was, was a real surprise to me, but an extremely pleasant surprise, I, I would point out. Gordon, it was a real test of character and resolve, that game, because a win would have put us further in the driving seat in the, in the Nations League group. And after what happened against them, as Barry says, and then in Ireland, which was just as much as, if not more deflating really than the the World Cup semi, how we just completely disintegrated over there as well. To come back and put in a performance of that level, I think Barry's bang on saying that it signalled, you know, that that was in the past and we were moving on to better things. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I remember at the time, you know, and again, it's, it's really easy to look back on these things with hindsight at, from a position of having had such an incredible season, but it might not have been that way. And I remember going to Hamden for that game and I was I was kind of dreading it. I'm not going to lie, because just simply because of what had happened, the, the place we were in coming out of June, having lost that World Cup playoff that we were so excited for and really lost it quite meekly and then gone to Dublin and then received a result that I think, you know, we we put on almost on a par with Kazakhstan in terms of the the level of expectation, the quality of our team and what we what we got. You know, had we put in another poor performance against Ukraine in that game and you know it, it wouldn't have taken long for for fan opinion to start turning on 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 this team. But for them to come back for a new season and like Barry said, just completely blow away Ukraine. And, you know, looking back at the stats, I mean, Ukraine didn't even have a shot, didn't have a shot on target. And obviously it took us a while to get our goal. It took us to the 70th minute for McGinn to get his goal in true trademark McGinn style. But 
the added gloss of the two goals at the end were were like I said more more than deserved. And you're right, it just completely set the tone for for the season to come. We played a back four that night. Andy Robertson was injured. The back, the back four was Nathan Patterson, Jack Hendry, Scott McKenna, and Tierney. Um, yep. It's a good team all throughout. Armstrong had a rare start. Adams was the first choice striker. Um, McTominay had a start in midfield. And you're totally right, guys. We batted them. I watched the highlights earlier. Armstrong did have a few chances in the first half. He probably should have scored one. Adams had a quick fire double header at the back post um, at some point as well, which hit the bar, and then the keeper saved it. And no chances for Ukraine in the highlights at all. Uh, touching on the McGinn goal, can we look back at it at all and say if a foul had been given, we wouldn't have complained too much? I mean, I think we, you, we would have we would have complained given that you <laughs> rattled it into the bottom corner. But I think if, if, if you, this is the thing, and this is a theme that I come back to quite often with this Scotland team, is that for opposition teams, we must be a horrible team to play against because when you've got guys like McGinn that can do things like that to you within the rules of the game, but just to stick his hip out and just throw that defender out of the way with his hip and turn him and then finish like that. Uh, yeah, you, you hate to play against it, but you love to see it for us. That's one of the, I don't know about you guys, but that's one of the reasons I really, really like Lyndon Dykes. Apart from the fact I think he's a, actually a decent footballer and a better player than people give him credit for, he's in, as Gordon touched on, he is one of those guys that is a nightmare to play against. Be- not just because of the physicality, he's just, he's there in the right place. He's got a bit of an instinct. You see from those, the two headers that night against uh, Ukraine, it was just very typical of what we had missed for so long. I mean, Kenny Miller was great for Scotland for years. But didn't have that. Um, maybe at times didn't have the service. You know, not not being unfair on Kenny, but it it didn't have that kind of predatory instinct that Dyke seems to have. And again, Dykes might be getting better service from people like McGinn and, and the two wing backs, Robertson, other people like that. But Dykes, I think, just typifies this Scotland team. And he, he was certainly and on that night he was um, he was one of the best performers. Fraser, the ball in. It's Dykes. Yeah, there's the second. corner up goes Dykes again Dykes does it again a double from Lyndon Dykes off the bench Scotland have three three points are coming their way yeah off the bench to score a double that night Lyndon Dykes corners delivered by Ryan Fraser who wow, has just that seems a long yeah. time ago <laughs> we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to that that's just completely really dropped off the face of not just the Scottish national team, but the earth, really. Ryan Fraser, see what happens to him uh, over the rest of the transfer window if he is moved on by Newcastle or not. But that was that was a huge win for Scotland, 3-0 against Ukraine. And this was a really intense patch of international football because of the delay to the original match back in June. So only three days later was the, the Ireland game at home. This felt huge for us, really. The all kind of revenge um, storyline trotted out and everything but it was true because if Ireland had won that the whole group was in the balance and they absolutely battered us in Dublin I felt like there was a bit of an edge to the game that night similar to as there was Barry at Parkhead in 2014 it it felt like a, a really important game for both 
Yeah, it was like a, it was a typical British rivalry, kind of British cup tie, albeit an international cup tie, but it had that feel about it. You're right. Um, if, if memory serves me right, the weather wasn't too clever as usual, mm-hmm. and and that seemed to suit both teams. But I remember, I think the reaction after John Egan had scored early on for Ireland with a header, and again previously with Scotland teams before, you would have you know the heads would have gone down amongst the fans and maybe the players as well. Didn't that didn't seem to happen? Um, although we had to wait a little while to get, to get you know back level again, there was again that belief was there. I think stemming from the fact that they'd they'd beaten Ukraine and and put in a performance that night and really put a good side to the sword. They believed if you, clearly if you can beat Ukraine at home, you can obviously beat Ireland at home. It's not the greatest Irish side without being disrespectful. So, um, yeah, the atmosphere was terrific and the fans really got behind the Scotland players that night. And I think again, just having that result added on to Ukraine was an even stronger foot in the ground, if you like, a stronger planted foot to give us that foundation to push on in the in the Nations League campaign. And, and it certainly proved that way. I really enjoyed that game. And probably yeah. more so because the winner came late on. I think that, yeah. that always helps. Christy, Christy penalty towards our final 10 minutes or so, wasn't it? The Yeah, 82, I think, was it? And he he really stepped up that game, Gordon. Not just with the the balls to go and take the winning penalty and do it in such a fashion, which I mean it was a risky pen. <laughs> Let's not get away from that at all. But he pulled it off, and it looks really nice going into the back of the net. Um, but before that, really nice assist down the left hand side for Jack Hendry, who continued his run after starting the attack, progressing from defence into midfield. Christie gets it on the left, uh, shimmies past his man, and great delivery. Christie. Uh, I'm a big supporter of Christie for Scotland. I think that he, he turns up, he, he never shies away from any challenges, any responsibility. That was a good performance from him that night. It's Christie! Yeah, it was it was it was brilliant. Um, and yeah, and as Barry said, you know, again, it was another one of those nights, you know, under the lights at Hamden, full house, full stadium, and a really really sizable away support as well, which which really added added to the atmosphere. Um, I was up in the sort of south stand upper, sort of just right next to where the away fans were, and they were making an absolute racket, which was great, and and it was it really added to it. Um, and yeah, and again, it just again speaks to the sort of strength of character of this team that, you know, first half, I remember we were not, we were not great in the first half. You know, they took the lead, probably deserved it. Um, well, I think they they hadn't played in the first match of the, of the sort of uh, international break. So they were certainly a lot fresher coming in and they, they sort of hit us with that, that goal from the set piece. Um, and then, you know, we, we, again, we, we start to lose players as well. You know, that was a real theme of this camp is that we were, we had players dropping like flies all the way through, you know, Tierney goes off injured in the first half and wouldn't play in the third game. Um but then yeah, yeah, as 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 you said, Andy, Christie was Christie really stood up in this game, um, was excellent. Uh, the way Jack Hendry uh, followed his run and and got that equalizer was brilliant. Uh, although the moment the moment for me that really stands out in this game was only about five or so minutes after we'd equalized when I think we had the corner from 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 one side and we turn the ball over and it's Obafemi and Parrot just sort of race away down the field and they've got a two on one and you think they're going to convert this. Like any any set of strikers here are going to convert this into a tap-in. Obafemi plays it across to Parrot and Craig Gordon's there as he always was so many times to make an incredible save. And I just remember the 
the the reception that that got in the crowd was just it was as if we'd scored again because yeah. that just kept us level and kept us in the game and then obviously we go on to win the game late with the penalty back to McGregor misses oh, it Yeah, got a weird feeling there actually kind of recalling the tension as those two bore down on our goal because the pass from... Because it took them forever. It, 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 like, it's, on, like, yeah. it's like they were through one-on-one for minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he should have buried it. Barry, it was a, a great opportunity for them. And I think maybe that deflated them a wee bit because we then pretty much controlled the rest of the game, got the penalty, which I, I still really can't make sense of the, the replay for the penalty. It seems as though McTominay heads the ball down and it hits an Irish hand, I still can't really tell which... It, it, it's clear it hits something, but I still can't really tell from the replays which hand it hit. But we got the pen, and uh, and Christy rolled it away. And after that, we were set up brilliantly for the game away to Ukraine. We needed a draw to win the group. We were two points ahead of Ukraine in, the, in Group B. And if we got the desired point, Barry, we would have the playoff spot secured for... The Euros should be not qualify automatically and we'd be seeded second for the draw and we'd be promoted to League A. That's quite a quite a trio of rewards. Yeah, a, a lot of pressure on that game, which I think thinking back to it now, I remember it being a pressure game, but maybe didn't appreciate on the night just how much pressure was on it. Um, and again, Scotland and pressure did, tend not to go too well, as we all know. Uh, but the way the players handled that that night was terrific. Um, they looked really composed, knew what they were doing. Ryan Porte's performance stands out in my mind as being as being outstanding. For I'm sure you guys will be the same. Uh, but not just him, you know, the, the whole team was so efficient, so composed, uh, so mature, calm about the situation. Knew they had the job to do, um, and again, probably took confidence from the fact that they'd beaten Ukraine comfortably at Hamden, and, and therefore had the belief that they could do the job in hand. And just went about it really um, to the letter, as it were, and got exactly the result that they needed. And then previously, you know, I've watched Scotland for years, as you guys will as well, in, in pressure situations, and they, and they just don't get over the line, you know, the old glorious failure thing. But this squad just seems to brush that off um, very comfortably. And it's, it's it's brilliant to see. And that, that night really typified that kind of mindset that, that, that they have. I think the, the injuries that day as well were pretty significant because Robertson and Tierney were out, but Greg Taylor's an able deputy. Patterson had been injured. McKenna was out, hence Porteous's debut. McTominay was suspended. There were a few more that I can't quite remember. So we had to make shift it slightly. We went to the back four again. Uh, that was Ryan Fraser's last start for Scotland. It's, it's strange to even think he was starting games as recently as that. Uh, it was one of those narrow sort of midfields, Kenny McLean was on the left-hand side of midfield, which kind of speaks to, let's just uh, shut up here and be tough to beat and composed in possession. Uh, Ryan Jack played as well, of course. So that really kind of tells you the type of game that Clark had set up for. And we rode our luck, Gordon. I mean, let's not get away from it. They missed an open goal in the first 10 minutes. Yarmolenko at the back post, kind of, he kind of scuffed a half volley, I think. Uh, <laughs> Dovbeck missed a one-on-one, kind of similar to Troy Parrott. Um, midway through the first half, I remember watching it in the pub with the boys thinking, okay, matter of time here. And then as 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 the game just wore on, I felt, okay, no, actually, you know what? We 
we're we're holding these guys at arm's length. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and to speak to to a point that Barry just made there, you know, it reminds me, um, Andy from Alba Matter, he loves to pull out a quote from one of Steve Clark's post-match press conferences, sort of in his first handful of games, where he said that, you know, what we're trying to achieve with the Scotland side is that no matter which players are playing, they know what to do. The players know what to do within the system and they deliver the same level of performance regardless of who's starting. And I think no game typifies that better than this one because like you say, I mean, Kenny McLean's not a regular starter. Ryan Jack, Ryan Fraser, Greg Taylor, Ryan Porch is making his debut. Hickey wasn't a regular starter at that point. He only had a, a handful of caps, you know. So this was a very fairly threadbare Scotland side compared to the, the, the typical first choice starting eleven. But the performance they put in was absolutely sensational. Um, and like you said, it's a real, this one's a real sliding doors moment. And I think it almost, even though it's it's the only game this season that we dropped points in, I would almost make a case for this being the game of the season, simply because of the prizes that it got us. You know, getting second spot, obviously we, we, we may not need a playoff at this rate the way we're going, which is fantastic. But getting second seed is was so important because we could well easily have ended up in Ireland's group, for example, with the Netherlands and France, hoping to get ahead of one of them and just that's a real uphill battle. So getting seeded second is so important. Um, I, I, yeah, so I, I I would make a case for this being game of the season. And also there's a moment in it towards the end, The in terms again, in terms of sliding doors moments that could have gone another way. The sliding tackle that Ryan Port just makes from behind inside the box to hook the ball clear. Again, you get that wrong by millimetres, you've given away a penalty, we've lost, it's all gone, we're third seeds, we don't have a playoff. I mean, incredible. Absolutely incredible. As it, Gordon makes a good point there. We will be at the end of this podcast coming to a conclusion on our goal of the season, game of the season, player of the season, and moment of the season. So just we'll, we'll kind of discuss it as as we go on. But Porteous can't be far off consideration if he's not already under it, guys, for player of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that game, he really announced himself as a Scotland player that night. He'd been kind of ridiculed in the, the Scottish League by some people um, because of his performances at Hibs and probably not so much his performances, that's probably unfair, but more the, the lack of discipline that he'd shown at times at Hibs. Um, and people felt that he didn't have the temperament, the right temperament to be an international player. They, they totally silenced uh, any, any of those critics that night. And um, I haven't watched him quite a lot at Hibs. I'd, I'd my own view was that he had everything that you needed to be a good centre-half, to be a, an international centre-half. But then, again, the questions were, does he have the right mindset? Is he mature enough? Can he handle the pressure situations? And he answered all of those questions that night in, in one performance. And as Gordon touched on, the tackle at the uh, near the end was just you know, just the cherry on the on the icing on the cake um, on, on, a, on an excellent Scotland display. Well, after that draw, Steve Clark said, this was a big week for us. We wanted to put the wrongs of June, right. So we did that, really, with taking seven points, including a nil-nil away to Ukraine, which I don't think I would have ever thought as capable of in years gone by, uh, going to that part of the world and coming away with a positive result. And in his, in his interview, he was questioned um, or asked about the the benefits that come with with the point. And he, and he said, I'm just happy that we played well, because if we play well, the consequences naturally come with that. So... I find that quite an interesting way to look at it, Gordon, that trying to, whether behind closed doors it's it's different or not, but shutting out the kind of bigger picture and isolating 90 minutes by 90 minutes and incremental growth game by game. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know that that that's always been that's always been Clark's mentality, and it's continued through as you know we've started the Euro twenty twenty four qualifiers. You know he said in March six points are nice, but you don't qualify with six points. And he even said a couple of weeks ago twelve points are nice, but you don't qualify with twelve points. And it is <laughs> just his dogmatic. Uh, refusal to look beyond the next match obviously we're all dreaming about it you know i'm plenty of scotland fans have now booked flights and accommodation in germany next summer we're all looking ahead but he won't look beyond the next result and and that's fine by me because you see you see what's coming from it and you just see like you said just the the continued belief within this group of players that they can do anything and they can do things that scotland teams before them haven't done it's incredible well we'll talk about craig gordon a wee bit more when it comes to the March games because he subsequently became unavailable and because we were we were panicking a wee bit at that point about what to do because when you look at his contribution over these two games, some of the saves he made were, were just absolutely astounding. Um, but the draw for the Euros came soon after that. Scotland, we were overjoyed to be in pot two for a change and out came Spain, who were ranked third in pot one, Norway, who were ranked third in pot three, Georgia, who were the top rank in pot four, <coughs> Cyprus, who were the third ranked team in pot five. I was just beyond deflated, Barry, with that job. Obviously, it is all a laugh in hindsight, but <laughs> when that was confirmed, I looked at ours and our fortune having worked our way into pot two compared to Northern Ireland, for example, and a few others, notwithstanding Republic of Ireland, and and thought, what's what's the point? Yeah, it was a little bit myself, the same myself, I should say. Um, again, the typical Scotland, you know, you do the hard bit and then you, th- or you think you've done the hard bit and here comes an even more difficult challenge put in front of you. And although, you know, straight away, the, the it just looked pretty obvious, you know, Spain won the group and it's a battle for second between Scotland, Norway and possibly Georgia. And then obviously it's, at the moment anyway, it's panning out very differently and couldn't be more happy with that, but it was initially you're thinking we've got a, one of the toughest groups you could get here, despite the fact of being a pot two seed. So all the you know we've done all this hard work to get get a pot two seed in the first place, and we're really up not up against it, but you know you're you're in a real fight there for second place, and there's absolutely no guarantee that you're going to get it. Um, so then you're thinking, well, maybe we might need the playoff and, and all the rest of it. But fair play again, the belief within the squad, as we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll come to, you know, over the the, the initial. Um, qualifying games at the start of the section has been terrific and it's um, it, I wouldn't say we're certainly not out of the woods yet but it certainly calmed me down and calmed a lot of people down that you know that, that we'd be in a real battle we now are in a situation where we're extreme favourites to qualify which nobody could have foreseen when that draw was made let's be honest yeah Gordon the, the I'm looking at the, the pots here so France somehow had slipped into pot two uh, England were in pot two, so they're complete outliers. The rest of the pot two sides are much of a muchness, really. Israel are in there, uh, Bosnia, Scotland, Finland. But looking at the other pots, the only other team from pot three, irregardless of the rankings, that I think would have been as tough a draw as Norway would have been Ukraine. The rest of pot three was kind of Albania, Republic of Ireland, Montenegro, that sort of level. And then pot four, Turkey. Can you imagine? We've drawn <laughs> Turkey from pot four, but uh, Georgia, Greece, Turkey, and then it's a bunch of um, kind of Balkan-ish area um, countries which have caused us problems in the past, but probably not as good as Georgia. Pot five, 
Um, and there you've got even Moldova, Estonia, Latvia, Cyprus are better than them. Um, so, yeah, it was an extremely tough reality to accept that after doing the hard work to get into pot two and celebrating the Nations League promotion so well that we'd been landed with this nightmare, which looking at now, well, Barry's right, we could never have realistically imagined that we'd be sitting with 12 points after four games. No, no, a hundred percent not, and and that that's something that just keeps coming back to me time after time in recent recent weeks. Is that you know, if this was almost any other Scotland side in almost any other Scotland era, you could quite easily have seen us, you know, sure beating Cyprus home first game up, then losing to Spain, plucky, oh plucky Scotland. They tried hard, they got beat by the better team. Then go to Norway, drop more points, and then you're thinking, well, we now need to run the board against Georgia and Cyprus to even have a chance of getting a playoff, and. That's what the reality would have been. You know, how many times have we been eking away points coming towards the end of a, end of a group? And that's just not the place we're in right now. Um, I, and I, I have to be honest with you, like I hated this group. I <laughs> genuinely, I was probably spent all of Christmas, the Christmas period, just completely not looking forward to this campaign because I thought we've got such a good team, and look at what we've been landed with. Look at the challenge we've got, and you know. We know with international football how often, you know, the difference of one world-class player can make. You know, you look at what what Wales have done with some good organisation and a Gareth Bale on top. And then we get, like you said, the, arguably the greatest striker in world football out of pot three. And then Kvarskelia out of pot four. I mean, just game-changing world-class players that could, can hurt you from anywhere. Yeah, it was uh, hated, hated, hated this group. But the way we've handled it has been pretty good. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll, we'll kind of gloss over the Turkey friendly, our only defeat of the season. It was a friendly. Not competitive, doesn't count. <laughs> I think the, the, the main thing that I remember coming from this game, we definitely definitely did on the podcast, was apart from McGinn's excellent goal, his 15th for Scotland that night, um, apart from that was that we, we wanted a wee bit of variation in the 11, that we felt it was an opportunity for Clark to try a couple of new things, Barry. And that didn't really materialise I think we hoped that we'd see Kelly or Clark playing goals because we well, we didn't know that Craig Gordon was going to get injured at that point anyway, but we wanted to see another keeper given a shot. Lewis Ferguson was very much driving the hype train and we wanted to see him given a start in midfield, see if he could take his Serie A form into, uh, into the Scotland team. Porteous had been put on the bench after a strong start to Scotland career and Jacob Brown was, it was another call-up for Jacob Brown who I, I think everyone's kind of on the, on the brink of really not being asked about Jacob Brown now, whereas back then there was a bit more of, I wouldn't say excitement, but at least curiosity <laughs> of why do we keep calling up this guy if we don't get the chance to see what he can do? Yeah, I agree with you, Andy. I think uh, reflecting on it quickly, I thought it was a missed opportunity in the sense of Scotland had played back fours, as you touched on in a couple of games um, earlier in the year, and surely that was a chance to try a back four with Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson, and i.e. Kieran Tierney left-sided centre-back and Andy Robertson left-back, and just see how it worked. 
and see whether that would be an option going forward. Now, yes, you would you would the obvious um disadvantage is, is the height issue. You end up, you know, slightly short on height at set pieces and things like that. But it was an opportunity to try that. And certainly the goalkeeper as well. Um you know, Craig Gordon being excellent for Scotland. I'm not suggesting that he should have lost his place. But if you're going to start him, then you should have at least, I, th- I thought, brought on one of the, the other goalkeepers to try them out and just in case. And as it turned out, Gordon got injured then a few weeks later. So, uh, yeah, not great. But as Gordon says, who gives a toss? It wasn't mm-hmm. friendly. Let's <laughs> just forget about it. And we only play in big games now. <laughs> well, in between that friendly and the start of the qualifiers, Craig Gordon was injured. Gordon... Welcome, Angus Gunn. It took its time. I think it was the third approach, third time lucky that we got Angus Gunn to commit to Scotland. His inclusion ruffled a few feathers, not the majority, I would say, but certainly a few people weren't too sure about it because he'd played in England youth teams, etc. But let's not kid ourselves on here. Looking at Craig Gordon's contribution over the years and especially in the autumn with those saves against Ireland and Ukraine, we needed a real top keeper to come in and take the gloves and Angus Gunn has done a superb job ever since. Four games, one goal conceded, it was a penalty. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, again, that that added to just the general sense of unease through Christmas time, because I think it was it was Christmas Eve, I think, that, that, that Craig Gordon got his horrendous leg break. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just added to that sense of unease coming into the new campaign, thinking, well, what the hell are we going to do for a keeper? And then, as, as Barry said, you know, that, that opportunity to potentially blood a new keeper in Turkey wasn't taken for whatever reason. So we knew one way or another we're, we're capping a brand new goalkeeper at the start of a campaign. And that's generally not the place you want to be. But, yeah, to, to get someone like Angus Gunn, and look, Angus Gunn, Yes, Angus Gunn grew up in England. Angus Gunn's dad is a former Scotland international. You don't get more qualified to play for Scotland than that. You know, you saw the you saw the video that his sister Mimi put out just uh, at his call up of him growing up bedecked in Hibs jerseys and Scotland jerseys. I mean, this guy is bona fide Scotland number one material. And and yet from the start he's been absolutely brilliant. He's exuded calmness. It's as if he's been playing international football his whole career. He has many, many, many years ahead of him. I think apart from just literally one moment where the Hamden turf got the better of him against Cyprus and he almost slipped over the ball on the edge of his box. He's been basically flawless. And even when you look at that penalty against Haaland, he was centimetres away from, from getting a glove on it. So yeah, exudes calm. His distribution's great. I yeah, love love having him in the team and and long may he long may he continue. We probably should add that he's Scotland have been so good in these four games he's had nothing to do. He said the cigars out back there. He's hardly been <laughs> <laughs> that also true. Also true. I think, yeah, when a keeper has come into a team and kept three clean sheets or certainly conceded no goals from open play, for them not to be included in a player of the season poll would be quite ridiculous. But Barry's right, he's he's been he's been uh, kept pretty safe by his his defence and screening midfielder back there. But this was a a nice opening game, lads. The the fixture calculator or generator, whatever, was was pretty kind to us. Two opening games at home, or two games at home to open the group. Uh, <laughs> nice nerve settler from John McGinn, Barry, who must be up there with a, a shout for player of the season as well. 21 minutes gone for uh, us in the Cyprus game when he tucked one away at the back post. 
Yeah, again, just such an influential guy. A special mention for the strip, by the way, in this game. Um, mm -hmm. One of the highlights for me was the, the anniversary strip coming out and getting used in a competitive game like that. I thought it looked excellent, especially with the Red Sox. I was a big fan. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, McGinn has been... You almost take it for granted now that McGinn is just so influences every game. If he's not scoring, then he's assisting or he's even pre-assisting potentially. And his contribution, again, which me probably as much as any Scotland fan, we can be guilty of taking it for granted, but he's he's such a pivotal figure in this Scotland team. That's why that's why he's picked and you know, he's in the starting lineup for every match and friendlies, competitive games, he's in there. That's why he's captain Aston Villa now. You know, that's not a coincidence. He's got he's got such an influence on every team that he plays in. And we saw that in that Cyprus game because he gets us off to the start that we need in the campaign. You know, again, Scotland fans know what it's like against smaller opponents, especially at home. It can be stuffy. We can cause our own problems and we just, you know, we set about it professionally and uh, and that, again that's th thanks thanks to McGinn and just the way he kind of settled and settled the nerves putting the, the early goal in Gordon is goal tally it just keeps getting added to but it's not just that really John McGinn I think is one of a few at the moment I, I would include probably Christie in that bracket as well and a few others uh, certainly Robertson but it's probably the biggest fan on the park like the one that fans probably live through vicariously when they're watching yeah 100% because every every performance you know obviously some 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 games you know he 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 is more decisive and and some some games he scores some games he doesn't but he will always give you the level of intensity and effort and energy and physicality every single game and just be an absolute pest to play against um also just the, the sheer just growth of his international career as well you know you look at some of the players when 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 Clark first first took over, you know he he if it, he must have decided these are some guys I'm going to build my team around because John McGinn had 14 caps when Steve Clark took over. He's now got 56, and he plays oh. like he plays like that level of experience. McGregor as well had 11 caps when Clark took over. Now he's got over 50. Um, it, yeah, absolutely in, in, incredible. What 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 a player he is for Scotland. Up to 16 goals now. Who knows how how high he can how high he can keep going. But as well, I, I think a special shout out and we'll come on to this as well. Andy Robertson, fantastic in that game against Cyprus. And it was his, it was his cross that, uh, that McGinn tucked in. And then he added another assist later for McTominay. Um, and Robertson's very much in the conversation, I think for, for, for player of the season for me. I don't know. Maybe is this a fair way to put it? The two biggest names, maybe globally for us and Robertson and McTominay. Uh, given the stature of the clubs they play for and, and the fan bases and everything, it feels like they have really come to the fore at the same time for us, Barry. I feel that they always bubbled away at a decent level for us at best. Sometimes they would play well, sometimes they would be ineffective and sometimes they would just play downright poorly. But it feels like now they're motoring along at an elite level that we've always hoped they would reach and is reflective of the level they're playing at with their clubs as well. And McTominay, I mean, it all kicked off for him here with that double against Cyprus. Yeah, I think the, to look at McTominay first, the biggest change, the biggest reason for his sort of change in performance level for me is the move into midfield. And I don't just mean into midfield in general, I mean into what you might call a number eight position in midfield because he played midfield initially for Scotland when he came in. They put him into a holding role and he looked, you know, average at best. 
and then he was used at centre back in a few games, and he did have some of his better games at centre back for Scotland. But I still, I think if you watched him, you could see that wasn't his position. He didn't think like a centre back, didn't position himself like a centre back. But the move into midfield, he is a number eight for me. He's a box to box midfield player who is very capable of getting into the final third and scoring goals, as we're now seeing. And that's been the, for me, pivotal to his change and, and, and his um, his uprising, if you like, from from being a, a sort of Scotland squad player, you know, sort of some start sometimes, bench sometimes, to being a, a first pick and, and a guy that you just wouldn't leave out the team now. Um, and Robertson, Robertson's always been very consistent. I think he's probably benefiting from the fact that other players around him are now reaching a peak for Scotland. Maybe, well, I hope it's not a peak, hope there's still you know higher levels to come. But in terms of their own performances, that they're, they're reaching the kind of levels that Robertson's capable of and the kind that he thrives on. So he's now got people up around about him who are solid sevens and eights and occasionally nines out of ten when they play. And that makes a huge difference because good players, you can put a good player a good player into an average team and he can look like an average player. And Robertson now looks like a good player, you know, at times for Scotland, a brilliant player because he's surrounded by very good and, and, and sometimes brilliant players as well. Gordon, I think this was an example as well, something that Clark has touched on quite heavily over the last little while. And we've seen it in the past, um, especially, for example, even going back as far as Serbia, okay, the level of substitutes weren't as great with Patterson, McBurney and, and Griffiths coming on, but the players rolled their sleeves up and got through what was a tough 30 minutes. Whereas here, we were struggling to break down a team and kill the game off. That's the one thing I would have said about this Cyprus game. Kill the game earlier because they would have absolutely no threat to us. And all of a sudden, if they'd had a set piece, it could have been a repeat of Clark's first game where they equalised with five minutes to go. And I think that that was the theme of this game. We were comfortable in possession. We were pretty decent, but we just had to go and kill the game when it mattered. And it was the substitutes that linked up for that because Christie won the ball on the right-hand side. He came off the bench, crossed it in. Dykes off the bench, nodded it down. McTominay off the bench, who arrived to take his first touch and stick it home and then scored his second about five minutes later. Yeah, com- com- completely. You know, and, and I think that's that's actually quite. A, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Obviously, with the the mirror mirror image to Clark's first game in charge being being Cyprus at home, and you're right, that one was. You know, both both games we we were equally comfortable to a degree. You know, holding a one nil lead, but in the first game, you're right, we we can see the equaliser and then have to go win it late, late, late on with with Ollie Burke. Whereas this one. Clark was able to make the changes that benefited the team, that improved the performance, and just put the game put the game to bed comfortably. And I think again, you know, Dykes, uh, you look, I'm I'm on record a lot about my my love and appreciation for for Shea Adams, but I've got to say, as this season's gone on, the more I have come to absolutely adore what Lyndon Dykes does for this team because not just in the way, as Barry said, he's an absolute pest to play against. He bullies teams, he bullies defenders, he keeps them busy all game. But the way that he can he can score, but he can also set people up. And I think that that little um cushioned little header down from McTominay it just epitomizes what he can bring to this side in terms of bringing the attacking midfielders into play and creating goals. And it was just a very, very deft touch by him so yeah as much as McTominay McTominay to the headlines there I thought Dykes played an absolutely pivotal role Would Dykes be in a nomination for Scotland's player of the season at all Gordon? Yes has to be has to be I think you know I mean when you when you look at you know the, not just the, the obviously the, the the brace against Ukraine in, in Nations League but then obviously the, the, the assist here then 
the goal, the goal and assist against Norway. That's absolutely incredible. And in terms of the the importance of the group, the importance of that result, he plays the absolute key role in that. And not to mention the fact, don't forget that it was only a handful of weeks before this camp that he was in intensive care, you know, with pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he comes back from that to get not just fit enough to be playing football, but fit enough to be playing international football, you know, speaks a lot. Again, we speak, we speak about the the atmosphere within this camp and how players are now, players are not looking for excuse, excuses to pull out squads. Players are looking for reasons to join squads and are desperate to join squads. And frankly, that's not even the first time Lyndon Dykes has done that. You know, if you remember at the end of our World Cup qualifying campaign, there was the game against, it was Moldova away right at the end. That was the game that secured us um, secured us the playoff place. Dykes was injured and Dykes basically, from what I gather, effectively lied to the Scotland coaches, said he was fit, turned up at training and was desperate to even fly with the team to Moldova just to watch the game and cheer the guys on. And they were like, <laughs> Lyndon, don't be stupid. Like, rehab at home. <laughs> we're okay. <laughs> But again, like I said, it it just speaks to it speaks to the atmosphere within this group of players that they don't want to miss a minute with the team, and and Dykes typifies that. Barry, you're on record as a a Dykes aficionado. What what about you? Would you have him and as one of the nominees for Player of the Season? Yeah, I absolutely would. Um, I think he's a just touching on what Gordon said there. Apart from what he brings to to Scotland, he he seems to feel that Scotland, being a part of the Scotland squad, brings a lot to him. He gives me he gives me the impression of somebody who really is thankful for his chance at international level, and thankful to be a part of this Scotland team in particular. Um, you know, I think he knows that he's, you know, he's a he's a great player for all of us, but he knows that he's not the greatest centre forward in the world. You know, he's not an Erling Haaland, for example, but he's got traits, he's got attributes that make him su- su- such a focal point for Scotland. Um, I really like Jay Adams when he plays alongside him. I think both of them have got a right good understanding, but Dykes brings a, not just the physical presence, the, the kind of movement, the link-up play, being able to p- play the way he plays where he's back to goal and that little bit of um, grit in the penalty area that we need. Um, I think the probably perfect example of that is the goal. Uh, a few weeks ago in Norway, the equalising goal just sniffing mm-hmm. out a chance when there was very little on. So yeah, a hundred percent, he's he has been as good as any Scotland player in, in uh, season twenty two, twenty three for me. Let's not um, let's not forget as well though. You know, we're, we're, you're, you're you're talking to Barry about how much you get the impression that he loves playing for Scotland and being part of this group. Let's not forget this is a man who now has a massive claymore sword tattooed down his side with the date of his Scotland debut on it, which I'm pretty sure was a COVID behind closed doors game against Israel, which, you know, we've probably all forgotten, but he's got it tattooed on his body because it means that much to him. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Well, the, it was a kind of no-frills, um, decent start to the, the campaign, uh, sealing a win against Cyprus late on, McTominay double, and it was nice to see McTominay uh, come on to the park and have an impact like that. It was something that I think, Barry, that you're right in saying we hadn't seen because he had been playing too too far back in the pitch. He was given a bit more license to get forward and then came along the game against Spain where that, I mean, that is probably etched in history now as as the McTominay game. It was a fantastic team performance, Gordon. We, we, we did not really look too threatened at all by one of the, the best teams in Europe. And McTominay's double um, is probably what makes this the the game of the season. I would argue. 
Yeah, and again, I think you know, it's, I feel like it's a point we hit on all the time, but just about the mentality of this group of players is just so, so, so impressive. Um, something that really impressed me about the sort of post-match against Cyprus was John McGinn in his immediate post-match interview. You know, you would think a Scotland player coming off the pitch having won any game three nil would be thinking, "Oh yeah, brilliant, we won a game three nil, fantastic, great start to the group, fantastic." But he came off the pitch and said, "You know what? That wasn't good enough. Like that performance." wasn't great. And I think that was something that was echoed by a few Scotland fans. I think if we I think if we had won that game against Cyprus 1-0, there would have been a fair few grumbles. The late two goals put a bit of gloss on it. But overall, the tempo wasn't ideal. We didn't put the game away till fairly late. And McGinn was like, do you know what? If we want to be the team we know we can be, we have to be better than that. We have to go levels above that. And that's exactly the attitude they brought into that game against Spain. And I remember saying before the game, when, when you saw the team sheet and you saw, yes, you're right, Spain are one of the revered names around Europe. They have put out one of the greatest international football teams in world history in recent memory. But you look at the players on the pitch and I thought, if we play the badge, we've got no chance. We will lose this game. But if we play that team out there on the pitch, we've got every chance. And I think that's exactly what Scotland did. They came out and thought, we can have these guys. We can have them. They saw the eight changes from the from the game against Norway. And they set the tempo early on. I mean, again, how, how often have we seen Scotland teams play against so-called better teams and just sit deep and let the other team build into the game and build and grow and grow and grow until they punish us? And we just didn't do that. And I think that's, again, typified by it's Andy Robertson, who's the one who's hearing down on the fullback mm. part, who forces the mistake, who's there to take advantage of the, of the, of the slip. And then again, if you watch that goal, the opening goal back, the reaction time from McTominay where he is sort of like drifting towards the edge of the box and as soon as the slip happens, he whips into movement and he's in space and he's there to finish. And that is the, that is the movement of a guy who knows exactly where he needs to be and when to finish that. And he gets fortunate with a wee nick, a wee nick that takes back his Kepa, but he more than deserves, deserves that goal. Barry, I, I don't know about you and I'm not sure exactly where it came from because I'm not sure it would have been the Cyprus game so it must have been the games in the autumn but I I really didn't think that we were going to lose to Spain I'm going to hand in that night I thought I, I don't I, I think we'll we'll probably get a draw here I don't think Spain are going to come to Glasgow and beat us and I think that that opinion was shared by most of the people inside Hamden because that was a sensational atmosphere that night but not one, if I remember correctly, that was fueled by um, the underdog tag, you know, that maybe we, we have seen against the bigger nations in years gone by. I think that was fueled by an absolute belief that we could go and, and take something off Spain. Yeah, you're bang on, Andy, and I felt the same way. Um, the, the belief was building at that point, belief that I, I hadn't, remembered as a Scotland fan since probably the 2008 qualifiers uh, when they beat France twice and that sort of feeling that you could take on a bigger nation at home and you could beat them was definitely there. Um, I think I said on on Twitter on the way to the game that I was 60% confident that my head was saying 60% of me was saying Scotland can beat Spain and the other 40% was saying behave yourself just because <laughs> of just because it's Spain and the way the way these things always go. Um but yeah, there was again there was a calmness, there was a belief. The early goal helped enormously, I think. Seven minutes, I think McTominay scored the first one. And that gives you again that foothold 
to you, you don't need to go chasing anything. You've got a bit of command as long as you're careful and sensible and don't do anything daft. Wait for an opportunity, and then when it, when it comes, then you get your second. And once you're two ahead, you know it's, it's difficult for any team to peg Scotland back when they're two ahead at Hamden. Um, so, yeah, I, I I just feel there's a, there's a different type of belief about the Scotland squad, and it's fantastic to just to stand and watch and, and be involved in. The the first half after we took the lead did feel a bit nervy at times, although Spain weren't slicing us open. They they hit the bar with the Hosselu header. But we largely controlled it. And then Dykes actually almost scored in the stroke of half time. Remember, he was sent through one on one and he just put it over the crossbar when he, he got on the right side of Eric Garcia. We came out flying at the start of the second half. Gordon, what in fact, I was going to say one of hands down my favourite Scotland assist ever, Kieran Tierney, for the second goal. I actually don't even know if does that go down as Tierney's assist, irrespective, because just because the cutback took a deflection of a Spain player and McTominay knocked that in. It's Tierney's assist all day. And I think that typified the confidence and and, and not arrogance, but assurance that we were playing playing with um at the start of the of the group. The way that Tierney drew in Carvajal and just said, see you later. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely you're right. And I, that that completely that sums up the entire performance that night in a nutshell there. That it was just it, there was no a, a lot of times, you know, in, in in past years, you've maybe seen Scotland teams try to play at a high intensity, and it's just always felt a bit frantic. It's always felt that the the control of the ball is just is just we've got it on our fingertips, and that you know one slight thing and we've lost it. You know, whereas that performance was it, it was composed, it was controlled. We played so well without the ball because we knew that Spain would come and we'd they, they'd dominate possession. I think they had about 75% possession in the game. We knew they would have most of the ball and that was fine. And we, we kept them having the ball in areas that they couldn't hurt us. They were happy to play it wide and sling crosses in and our back three gobbled them up all game. And you're right, that, that second goal, just the way that the control and the composure and it's almost the kind of just the way that Kieran Tierney just baits and switches uh, Carvajal as he's coming down. You see him slowing down and then just hitting the gas again and then powering away and he can't catch him. And you're right, puts the cross in and it's cleared up off off a a Spanish player's thigh. And then it's, again, it's the way that McTominay making almost almost a McGinn-esque, should we say, sort of late run to the edge of the box. But the way that he hits that on on the half volley first time just... Couldn't have hit it any sweeter. Quite fairly similar to his, to his goal against Georgia as well, the way he finishes it. In steps Tierney. Does well. He'll be chased down by Carvajal, but he's got some engine on him. Kieran Tierney. He timed that perfectly. Now, can he pick out the killer pass? never quite felt like this at a Scotland game where you're winning a game against a team of that quality and you just didn't feel concerned at all you know there was still 40 odd minutes to go and you just think I was there with my mum my mum and I remember turning to her at one point thinking even if Spain get a goal here they just simply don't have time to get a second and we're going to win this game and I've just felt complete serenity with about 10 minutes to go that we were going to win that game and it's just bizarre that that's what the Scotland team are doing to us right now I was the opposite. There was there was about a minute and a half to go, and I turned out to my son and I said, "We'll take a draw right now." 
<laughs> you've, you've, you've been hurt before, Barry. You've been hurt too many times before. Yeah, I, th- I think it would have been the, the moment of the season if Shanklin had scored that in the last minute. I mean, McGregor's run down the right-hand side. He skinned yeah. about three or four Spaniards, cut it across for Shanklin. They just, he didn't get enough power in his shot. If that had gone in, we're, we're in an, an alternate universe, really, to, to make Spain look as foolish as that. That would have been absolutely unbelievable. Can you imagine if McGinn had scored that that from that free kick where he clearly sees that Kepa's <laughs> positioned himself way away from his near post and he just tries to whip it into the near post and cracks it back off the bar. If that had dropped in, it, goodness me, yeah, this yeah, is it, embarrassment territory. Sensational. And the the six points from two games was was a fantastic start. And I think a lot of people were already starting to get a wee bit carried away at that point thinking okay, now someone has to take those points back off us, which we've seen happen uh, along groups of, uh, of distant past now. And we went to especially, Norway. Especially, Andy, I think the fact that, again, the thing that, the thing that sent us to Hamden that night with a spring in our step, because I remember being in the house with, with, with Viaplay on the TV, watching the last few minutes of Norway dropping points against Georgia <clears> before we went came to Hamden to play Spain. Again, I think that put us, that helped that feeling of, Okay, we're in a, we're in a good place here. Do, do you reckon? I know that Clark would never ever ever say it. It's it's about what we do. No one else. Blah blah blah. Do you reckon they they reference that? And before the game, they've 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 slipped up. Let's make them pay for it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they would have known. I'm sure they would have known. Yeah, it's an extra motivational factor, really. You know, to, you, and that that sort of situation, if you're a manager and a coach. You're looking for every source of motivation that you can get. Not that you should need motivation to go and play for your country. I don't mean it that way. But if there's an extra spur, an uh, extra little bit of info that you can give your team, of course you give them it. E- equally, it works the other way. You know, if um, you know if Norway have gone and won that game, you probably don't mention it because it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it might unsettle a couple of people, put pressure on them. So yeah. you, you wouldn't. Mention it. Well, we went to Norway then, and this was the absolute definition of. Not not entering stoppage time against Spain, Barry. This was the definition of we'll take a point uh, <laughs> before the before the match. Yeah. We we all would have absolutely taken a point, and it was. I mean, it was not great from us that night for eighty five minutes or so. We kind of kind of similar to Spain against us. We we barely laid a glove on Norway. They held us at arm's length. We were happy to try and protect our goal and force them to break us down, which. To be honest, Gordon, they didn't really. They needed a fairly touchy penalty um, to be tucked away by Haaland to get themselves in the lead. But we didn't do anything in the in the other third at all. And it looked like it was just going to be one of those insipid, forgettable away matches um, for most of the match, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. It did. And, you know, and again, you know, we're 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 coming into this game, you know, with with the wounds still still gaping from from the June the previous year, and 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 you know, and you know, people would point out that Scotland's record traditionally in June fixtures has not been good in 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 recent years. So I think that was all swirling around. Obviously, you knew that this was this was the first time that Erling Haaland was playing in this group. You know, the, in Norway, they were making a huge deal about this. They were, you know, thinking this is the, this is this is the game that's going to kickstart our campaign. And as much as you know, we had a five point lead going into that game over Norway. You know, you just know that if we lost, it's it's two points, and all of a sudden, it, it, it's game on again in the group, and the group's wide open again. So. Yeah, I, I remember thinking, you know, first half, I don't think we did much wrong. You know, we didn't 
we we didn't create much. You're right, but we contained them very very well. I think they had you know Surloth had about one one good header that he probably should have scored that Angus Gunn comfortably saved. But other than that, we we contained them very well. And then into the second half, I, I think we would have been really really disappointed if we'd gone down one nil to a penalty because. It, it was an even game and, and yeah, they, they did not create much from open play. So if we'd lost it to a penalty, it would have been desperately disappointing. But then who genuinely, who could have predicted what happened next? <laughs> well, Mike, in, in commentary, Barry, Mikey Stewart says, just as McGinn is getting the ball in midfield, him and Rory are talking and Mikey actually says, we haven't been able to work the ball into dangerous areas, which is really bang on because we knocked it about from time to time, but we just disintegrated every time we got close to Norway's final third. And then in the end, I mean, look, we'll take it. We needed a helping hand from Ostergaard to knock it into Dice's path. Big man was alive and uh, he seized it to roll it past the keeper for 1-1. Yeah, the disappointing thing is in the last two that we spell we've really been able to walk the ball into dangerous areas. McGinn might do now. It's just behind McLean. Dykes is there! Yeah! I think it's, it's a totally different kind of celebration to what happened after McLean. Um, I, th- I can't remember the last time I celebrated a Scotland goal kind of as aggressively as that. Um, like with, with McLean, it was more just kind of disbelief over joy, kind of same as Griffiths, um, same as Christie in Serbia. But the, the relief that came pouring out of me at Dykes' equaliser was mammoth, really. Yeah, I don't blame you because as as you both kind of touched on, it would have been a travesty if Scotland had left, given the way that Scotland are capable of playing as we're all seeing now. It would have been a travesty if they hadn't got anything out of that game against what I feel harling aside um, is a pretty poor Norway team, particularly defensively. And I felt we just didn't ask enough questions of them. It was really frustrating because the times, the two times really when we properly asked questions of that Norway defence, we scored two goals from it. And it took us, you know, until the final final minutes, the dying minutes, to actually try and to do that. And I think, well, we could have done that 40-odd minutes beforehand and we could have been a couple of goals up and comfortable. So that was where the frustration was. But we don't get everything. We know as Scotland fans, you don't get everything your own way. In fact, you don't get very much your own way often. So that's why we have to try and enjoy this. And I just like the way that it was a kind of... uh, classy sort of um, right you know we're Scotland we're going to do something about this now in the last few minutes we're not leaving here with a defeat so at the very least we're going to get a draw so we put a bit of pressure on and we get a goal out of it but we're not 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 done there previous Scotland teams might have just sat back in saw the game out and taken a point this lot again belief was there there was enough belief there for them to say right we're going to go and try and score a second goal and on what a second goal it was. It was terrific. I was probably the opposite to you, Andy. I probably celebrated the second one more aggressive than the first because the first, it was like, for me, just relief. I thank God they've, they've actually 
they've got level again. This is where they should be. And then the second, you know, the, the build up and the, just the, the goal and, and what it meant only a minute or so, you know, after the equaliser was just phenomenal. That that's been done so often to Scotland. How many times have you seen Scotland teams be at least the better of their opponents and they're maybe leading one now and lose a late equaliser or that's one each and they lose a late goal and lose the game? Republic, Republic twenty eleven. Yep, absolutely. Um, so many examples of it. Even in the World, World, World Cup 98, you know, you're losing a goal, a late goal, a deflected goal, Cafu goes in off Tom Boyd, all these things. So, yeah, um, brilliant to, to do that to any team. Nothing against Norwegians, because I actually like them. I think they're decent people. But brilliant to be able to come back like that and and, um, and really flip a game in its head. Gordon, the, those two goals are one of my kind of obscure football joys I think we might have actually mentioned this in one of the previous pods, but a great example from last season was when Reese Nelson scored for Arsenal against Bournemouth in the last minute. And you can just rewind the goal again and again and look at a different player every time because they lose themselves in their own little world for two or three seconds. Uh, and when and when Dykes, I think it's when Dykes scores, there are more Scotland players in the screen rather than the McLean one. And it's just funny. I've, I've watched it like four times today. Armstrong just jumps up and does this little like weird skip thing. <laughs> Dykes like kind of extends his arms away from his body as much as he can. You can just see him, the scream coming out. Robinson just about like crumples to the floor with his, his, his forehead against his fists for a second. Like, you could, it was such a massive, massive moment that. And I, I really do think that Hallen not being on the pitch when we equalised was an injection of confidence that we didn't have to then contend about conceding uh, a losing goal we could go and get a winning one because we had the momentum Norway were absolutely shattered um, or not not just shattered but completely bereft really yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and again you look you look at the and again this 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 is a team that they're not they're not fueled by emotion that the the savviness and the game intelligence at this international level, you know, again, that that was something that we we held against the Scotland team. When you look back at Euro 2020, that we went up against teams that just knew what they were doing at that level. They knew what they were doing in big tournaments, and they took advantage of us in that way. And they they beat us in the Czech Republic and, and Croatia. Whereas now, this group of players have played together so many times. They've played together dozens of times that they know they are such a good team that they know how to comport themselves in these different scenarios. And you're right. There's a couple of things that I just absolutely love from, from, from looking back at the, the goals in Norway when Dykes, first of all, Dykes phenomenal. The fact he's, he's run that line all game in 30 plus degree heat. He must've been absolutely out on his arse. He hadn't played a competitive game in about six weeks, given that the championship season finished about the end of end of May and he's still got it in him to chase that ball down, to be the one that gets it first. The artistry of that finish to actually wrap his right foot around the ball so it goes back across the goalkeeper is fantastic. And then what I love is, like you said, I've, I've done the same as you, you watch every single player as they celebrate. The one that I, that stands out to me is Andy Robertson, who goes absolutely mental for about three seconds celebrating to himself and then when the camera cuts back to Steve Clark and the touchline, it's Robertson who's standing right next to him. And it's Robertson and Clark are speaking to each other about what do we do next? And it's not just about great goal, fantastic. And again, you, you think about the mindset that Scotland teams of the past might have had. And in commentary, you know, I've listened back to Lee McLeod and Stephen Thompson on BBC, and they're saying, a draw's a great result. Fantastic, brilliant. 
but this team don't have that attitude. And if you watch the the Scotland HQ highlights that the Scottish FA put out afterwards, you see as soon as the team start walking back towards the centre circle, Robertson runs over, pulls them all into a quick huddle and passes on whatever's been dis- just discussed with Clark. And if I'm guessing or predicting what was discussed, they're saying Norway have to win this game. Norway came into this game knowing they have to win the game to keep this group alive. They will now, now that we've equalised, they will throw everything forward to try and get a winner. And that's exactly what they did. They take kickoff, take a few couple of passes, launch it forward with about six or seven players forward. And if we can win that ball back, the counter is going to be on and we can get, we can nick a winner. And that's exactly what they go and do in what has to be one of probably one of the best executed Scotland goals you've ever seen. Every piece of it from Armstrong playing it wide to McTominay. McTominay's crossfield ball is incredible. McGinn, he's not shooting. McGinn is trying to find Dykes. Mm. And the way Dykes just puts it on a plate perfectly for McLean, who then curls the ball in so delicately with his wrong foot into the corner. Yeah, incredible. Here's Armstrong to Scotland have something else up their sleeve here McTominay if Dykes can get the flick on here it's John McGinn it's Dykes it's McGinn Is that the the moment of the the season then, McLean? It's it's it, it's it's goal of the season for me. It's definitely goal of the season. Whether it's yeah. moment of the season, I'm not sure, but it, it's a hundred percent goal of the season. Just the multi passing move. Also, by the way, shout out the fact that you know when we were needing a goal, when we were chasing that first goal, it wasn't a get it launched. The first goal, I think, someone recorded it had about thirty five Scotland passes before mm. we scored the goal. So it was calm. It was controlled. It was stick to the plan, stick to the system, and it was get the result so no the second goal McLean I think has to be goal of the season and it's in the conversation for a moment well, what, what do you reckon for a moment Barry if not that the, the, what I had my moment of the season was came what, Tuesday 27th of September about quarter to ten at night so Scotland have just drawn 0-0 with Ukraine and they've won the Nations League group promoted to League A and got a pot, seat, pot two seed for the Euros qualifying draw. And to top it all off, England have got relegated. <laughs> <laughs> They've ended up in League B because they didn't win any of their games. And so does it get any better as a Scotland fan? I don't think it does. <laughs> me, that's the moment of any season. That's the moment of my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I had the, the, did anyone else have Ukraine game down as potentially game of the season? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did certainly. Just as, as as Barry perfectly summed up there, just because of what it meant and what it got us, and that the sliding doors moments. If it hadn't gone our way, the position that we might have ended up in in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, I, I think it more than deserves a place as as game of the season for sure. Before we consolidate our choices, let's talk about Georgia because the win in Norway would have been null and void, Barry, if Georgia had then come to Hamden and left with all three themselves, it would have felt like a real case of what if, but again, professional performance and weird circumstances, but never really felt like we were under much threat. No, there was, the weather was a bigger threat than the Georgians. The, <laughs> I think overall, the, again, you've got to praise the professionalism and composure of the, the squad. 
you know, so many distractions as, as we all saw between the you know delay after delay after delay, and then the Georgians are refusing to come out, and there's all the confusion as the game getting played the following day at St Mirren and all the rest of it behind closed doors. But when the when the play resumed, Scotland got back on it and um, and won the game comfortably. Did again a professional job, and this is what this is what we're just enjoying seeing them, enjoying seeing them going out every game, professional, composed, hungry, and and just. And seem to be enjoying playing for Scotland. I think it's was it now 14 wins from the last 17 competitive games. When have you ever known a Scotland team to have those kind of stats at their back? And look at the other teams and the the, the I suppose you want to geographically our neighbours in that June international break. Northern Ireland lost at home to Kazakhstan, Republic of Ireland lost to Greece, Wales lost to Armenia and Turkey. Now all three of those countries, home nations if you want to call them, not the Republic, I know that. But all three of those countries qualified for Euro 2016, while while Scotland missed out, and this is now how things have flipped. No, tables are turning, and then some, aren't they, Gordon? I mean, that was that was just a nice evening, which carried an air of trepidation, given our history with playing Georgia in competitive games. But we we left with absolutely no kind of signs of old wounds being opened up. Yeah. Completely, completely. And and again, this this is something that this Clark team has done time after time after time. They've laid ghosts to rest. They've uh, they've 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 done things that the previous Scotland teams have never done, including now winning our first four qualifying games in a group for the first time in history. And and yet, but even then, even even despite all the good stuff that we've discussed and all the the, the great things that have come out of this season. Even I still felt uncomfortable in the first minute or two when the Hamden crowd started singing Germany, we're the famous Tartan army and we're off to Germany. I was like, oh, that still feels a little bit premature. But then you get the early goal, you get the second goal immediately after halftime. And and yeah, and again, another game where we just keep, we keep an opposing team at arm's length and they didn't have a single shot on target. And yeah, again, could, could could have been more as well. Could have been more. I mean, McTominay forced a quite mm. incredible save round the corner of the post. Um, there was the the chance for him again where it, it stood up in the puddle and he just swung an air shot at it. But if that ball falls to him, he's, he's scoring that. Um, yeah, just comfortable. But again, you now see the confidence that the, the crowd has got in this team as well. You know, And I think Clark and all the players were very quick to, to point out after the game that with all the delays a big portion of that crowd could have said, you know what, we just need to get home. And they didn't. I think not many fans left before about 10 minutes to go, which by which by that point was about 10 past 11 at night. So yeah, just, just an incredible, incredible place we're in right now. Gilmore staked a real claim for a start in that game. As, as far as I remember against Georgia, it was, it was excellent and he hadn't really played all too much football um, throughout the, the season for Brighton, him and McTominay and McGregor, who we haven't really mentioned at all, McGregor in the score sheet, uh, had another good game. McGregor's just missed a consistent really. We've not even mentioned him for player of the season for Scotland lads. Uh, probably should be in the equation, but I suspect he won't be. Yeah, I think, um, again, probably one of these, similar to McGinn, you, because he's there all the time, you maybe take him for granted a little bit. His performance level is always generally up around the 7 out of 10 mark, at least, if not more than that. Um, and another player who has become a first pick in the last, what, well, certainly under Steve Clark, he's mm-hmm. one of these guys that he's now the anchor man in midfield. 
where initially you'd maybe have thought that would have been McTominay's role, but they've you know McTominay's now further forward. McGregor's the anchor man; he dictates the midfield, he organises, um, he dictates a lot of the tempo that Scotland play at, um, and it probably says a lot about this team that that, we're, that we haven't mentioned them so far. You know that you've got players like that performing at that level week in and week out um, for their club, and then reaching the same level for their country when the internationals come round. Uh, it's just a joy to behold watching these guys and. Oh, long may it continue because we have for long enough been watching average and, and below average Scotland teams with an occasion below average players in it. But you wouldn't say that about any of the guys in the squad at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look look at the defence, Gordon, that has really managed to rotate on a, a basis of five or six when necessary. Hanley injured for the second half of this season for us and that was a loss because Hanley's very quick. He's a decent defender and he was the one in the middle of the back three that would play. Hasn't in the last four games. And I mean, it's gone very, very well for us. Jack Hendry and Porteous have, have struck up a nice little partnership there on the right and centre of defence with Tierney in his usual spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and and also don't forget that obviously coming coming into this 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 camp in June that you know there was no no Hanley as you say no Scott McKenna and uh, Nathan Patterson was obviously called up but just wasn't really fit enough to to contribute anything you know and these are all guys who have played a healthy number of games for Scotland in recent years so to have a defence that has stayed so good and and is now you know only conceded one goal in this group so far and that's from a penalty is 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 remarkable and and I think again it, it just shows you you know you, you look through that team and you think there's so many you know you talk about the first name of the team sheet well we've got about seven or eight first names on the team sheet which again helps this team grow as a team and and helps them all all play better together it's just Aye, incredible. Um, also, again, d- d- delighted for McGregor that he finally scored scored in a game that we that we won in, which was good because like, he had a couple of goals before, but in games that we had we lost, and he obviously scored in the Euros and scored against Ukraine in the World Cup playoff. So good, good, good to see. Good to see him get a goal that's that that can contributes to a win. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get on to our votes then. We'll start off with goal of the season. Let me throw a, f- a few at you guys, and you can tell me what ones you might have noted down. I feel this will get lost because of the circumstance of the game and its outcome, but McGinn's against Turkey was absolutely superb, but kind of irrelevant really in the grand scheme of things. Hendry against Ireland, lovely forward move and a good header to get us back into the game. McTominay's second goal against Spain, wonderful assist from Tierney and a good finish. And then great team move for McLean's winner against Norway. Do you guys have any others written down or any particular strong feelings on any of them? I would say I've I've also got a bit of love for for McGinn's opening goal against Ukraine in the Nations League because that was just that was the goal that got this got this incredible season going and again you know let, let's not forget you know that that came in about the 70th minute for us and that that was a game that was starting to look like despite our dominance we just hadn't quite made the breakthrough and and you know you 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 referenced earlier there was those two uh, Shea Adams headers within about a minute of each other that you thought how in the name of goodness have we not scored here? And you're thinking, is this just going to be one of those nights that we just don't find a way through? So for McGinn to almost take the <laughs> take, take 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 matters into his own hands or into his own arse and get the ball, body the defender and bury it in the bottom corner, that that was brilliant from a from a sheer uh individual perspective. But but yeah, I think I think for me the goal of the season has to be has to be McLean's winner in Norway just because of the sheer 
the importance of the moment and also just the, the the way that the whole team contributed and every pass had to be perfect and every pass was. Barry, are you coming at us with something different or are you like-minded? No, I think for me, McLean, McLean's goal just as as the outstanding you know candidate for that category, I think it meant so much. It was such a great move. Um, so so much drama attached to it, the timing of it, um, and I love the way that, as you guys spoke about earlier, I love the way all the players all celebrated, kind of some of them together, some of them individually. Uh, it was just I love the commentary that went with it. I thought Rory Hamilton uh, articulated it all really well. Um, it was just a brilliant, brilliant Scotland moment. What about our game of the season? I will start off by offering Spain at Hamden. I'll second that. Yeah, I, I think it has to be. You know, I mean, the first first time beating Spain in what was it, thirty five years, something like that. Since was it when when Kenny Dalglish scored the scored the goal against them? Uh, yeah, and I think again, I, th- I think I, d- I described it earlier in the week as just a a no caveat win against a top European side. And what I mean by that is that you know, obviously, you look back in the last group. Yes, we beat we beat the top seed at home again. We we did the same thing, but that was Denmark. Denmark had already qualified. All they had to play for was a one hundred percent record in the group, and whereas we were still motivated to to get that home playoff for the World Cup. So, uh, beating Denmark at home was wonderful and a great moment, and I loved it. But this means so much more. Being at the start of the group, being in the second game, uh, yeah, and and completely deserving the win as well, and. To get that in front of a packed hand and, and then have freed from desire straight after full time. Yeah, just <laughs> these, these moments that we're getting to share together are incredible. So yeah, I'd I'd, I'd happily have Spain at home as the as the game of the season. What about our moment of the season then? I'm keen but not stringent on differentiating winners of each category, but it feels like this might be unavoidable. Uh, Barry, you said that Ukraine final whistle was your moment of the season. I can't see an alternative to McLean winner against Norway. Gordon, what about you? Yeah, McLean, M- M- McLean winner against Norway is just completely so far beyond the realms of anything we've ever experienced before. Is incredible. I mean, I think there's certainly there's so many moments that you look back on through the season. I think we've pointed out a lot of them that played a big part in contributing to this season. The the the, the McGinn goal against Ukraine. The uh, the Craig Gordon save against the Republic of Ireland in the one-on-one, the Ryan Porteous tackle in the last minute away from home against Ukraine. But yeah, just just for the sheer joy of the moment and just the kind of, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now feeling. You, you don't get better than that game against uh, that game against Norway. And I'm just so, so jealous. I know a few folk obviously who are out there in the in in the away end. I just, I'm so jealous of what they got to go and experience out there in Oslo. Yeah, given given the the likelihood of McLean's winner winning two categories, you could easily flip it and do uh, like an underrated moment of the season, whether it was Gordon's save against Parrot, Borges's tackle against Ukraine, Tierney's change of pace against Spain, that sort of thing. Is, is there anything else that might jump out as a potential underrated or for like lost in the noise, forgotten moment of the season? I think I think I think when you look at something that's become a common theme through this through this campaign is what we are doing you, you talk about you know there's the phrase online people live people say about living living rent free in someone's head and 
you get the impression that this Scotland team is living rent-free in a lot of other teams' heads. And the fact that you look at Rodri's post-match comments against Spain, you look at Odegaard's comments against Norway, you look at the Georgian team almost refusing to come out and play against us. Again, it's something that we keep coming back to. This team is utterly horrible to play against. And (laughs) you see that coming time and again in the the way that other teams react to us. And I think that's becoming one of the most pleasing aspects of this, uh, this Scotland side for me. Would you yeah, say? Would you say that, would you say that? But sorry, go on, buddy. No, I was just going to add to, to to what you said there. If you're having that that sort of category under underrated moment of the season, it would be it'd be Rodri's post match interview because the tears coming streaming down his face there were just <laughs> absolutely glorious and gave me yeah. a, a huge amount of joy for weeks on end afterwards. <laughs> well, that uh, yeah, that, there was there's so much to enjoy about that that Spain match. It was it was just a a superb couple of hours. And we now come on to oh, do you know what? Sorry, yeah. sorry, Andy. Yeah, it's just there's there's one 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 more thing I want to throw in, and again, it's because uh, something I've been doing in the last two weeks is just occasionally scrolling YouTube and finding videos that people have filmed from the stands, particularly in in mm-hmm. Oslo. And one that I saw was when I, I didn't pick this up watching it on TV, but when Erling Haaland is being substituted off, he gives Andy Robertson a fairly sarcastic pat on the shoulder as he walks past him. And that for me has to go down as one of my underrated moments of the season. <laughs> then what then followed? There's there's actually quite a few to choose choose from here. Rodri's tears, Porteous's tackle, Gordon's save, Tierney's assist, Hallen's condescension. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a good few there. Um, we'll leave, we'll leave it up to the listener to decide. Kvarskelia's Kvarskelia's uh, penalty. Yes, penalty, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the jo- the Georgians locking themselves in the dressing room. I thought that was brilliant as well. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Let, let us know in the mentions what your favourite underrated moment of the season is, and we'll conclude things by voting for our player. I've been taking a note of who seems to be getting the most praise throughout the podcast. The five nominees that I've arrived at are McGinn, Porteous, Dykes, McTominay, and Robertson. Uh, anyone to add? I think, I think, I think, I think Angus Gunn deserves a special commendation just simply because that was such an important position that we had to get right coming into this group. This was that that was the position in the team that we were most concerned about. And it now gives us almost the least amount of concern. Uh, so you're right. As much as he's not had a lot to do, he has exuded calm in that defense and to concede one goal from a penalty is incredible. In his first four caps, he's only two caps away from, from his dad's record. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think a special mention to him. He probably wouldn't get player of the season so far, but I think he deserves a special shout out. Okay, fair enough. Special shout out to Mr. Angus Gunn. What about the five nominees, Barry? Where's your instinct taking you? McGinn, Porteous, Dykes, Robertson, McTominay. Uh, McGinn for me because the goal against Ukraine, the goal against Cyprus, the goal against Turkey as well, which was very good as we as we mentioned, but also. Um, his influence on the games and his influence on those two goals in Norway. Um, just such pivotal moments, huge contributions to the campaign at vital times that have really um, underpinned this, the success of the Scotland team. And I don't see that we have. We have a lot of influence, influential players at the moment. You have to say McTominay's not far behind them. Equally, Lyndon Dykes. We mentioned Callum McGregor. Andy Robertson, you know, the list goes on, but I, just, I don't think, for me, nobody has quite got to the peaks 
a few are close, but nobody's quite got to the peaks that McGinn has reached in a Scotland jersey this season. I, I'm going to... Well, I'm going to remove McTominay despite his goals because if we're doing this as a whole season thing, then he's come to the fore in the last four matches rather than all of the, the eight that we've played. Whereas I feel like Robertson as well has had a really strong impact in this group for us, but he was injured for the first half of the season. I don't think he played in any of those three games in the Nations League when we got promoted. Um, so if we're removing those two for the sake of pedantry, that would leave Dykes, McGinn and Porteous as our top three. Uh, Gordon, who are you going for from them? Well, were it not for your your act of pedantry there, I was I was just revving up to make the case for Captain Andy Robertson as being our player of the season because I think he's just playing his absolute best football for Scotland that he's ever played, um, not just in terms of what he brings on the pitch, but I think the way that he's grown into his leadership role as a captain. I'm with you on that, by the way. You see, you see that shine through. I think you know. Look, there, there were a lot of people that, that that made comments. You know, when he was first made captain, that it was too he was too young, and maybe he, he was being made captain because he was the highest profile player in a team, and it was a more a, a sort of ceremonial position. But I think he has completely grown into it. You see the players radiate towards him, and the the the, the confidence he has within that role now. Also, the fact that. If Andy Robertson plays in the remaining six games we've got this year, he will draw level with uh, with George Young as our most capped captain of all time. He'll have played 48 games for Scotland as captain and then one more and he is he will be our most capped captain of all time. And when you think about the calibre of players, the legends of the game, you know, we've been recently celebrating 150 years since the first ever Scotland international football game. We've been at this a while the legends of the game and the amount of people that have worn the armband, for him to have worn the armband more than any of them is incredible. Um, more than your Fletchers, your 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 uh, Sunnises, your McAllisters, etc. etc. But if you're going to insist on on removing him from consideration... I won't insist, I won't insist, but I, I'm just trying <laughs> I mean, to make our, dis- our decision a bit easier. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And and you're right. Obviously, obviously you, you you do need to look at the contribution over the course of the entire season. So for that reason, then I I would probably then look to look look, look to Lyndon Dykes as as player of the season, just in terms of what he brings to the team, how he how he epitomizes, how he embodies the spirit and belief and desire and real quality of this team. Um his goals against Goals against Ukraine in Nations League were brilliant. Uh, his goal across the group and his assists, um, fantastic. And just the way he leads the line, I've described him recently as effectively a human, a fist in human form. And he just bloody loves playing for Scotland and we love watching him. So yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Dykesy. I, I could, I, I'm kind of inclined to make the case for Porteous, which would separate the, <laughs> the the voting at a third each because I, th- I think that and Barry mentioned it earlier on this very podcast Porteous um, was being questioned by yours truly and I was nervous when he started away to Ukraine he blew me away and proved me wrong and has just settled into the side kind of as if you were talking about Angus Gunn earlier Gordon like he's been there for years really I, I, I know it's just it's just it feels natural to see him involved in a squad or a starting 11. And I think he has conceded only one goal and it was a penalty. Yeah. Granted, he gave the penalty away. It is a 50-50 decision. I can see both cases. 
uh, both sides of the the case. Um, but I think Porteous has has come in and under a very very heavy spotlight, been absolutely brilliant for us. He was crucial with that tackle away to Ukraine in a game that we we could not lose. Kept a clean sheet in a very difficult place to go, and he has played our best in as part of the defence and our best ever start to a qualifying group. So I am probably going to give my vote to Ryan Porteous, which would mean that Dykes has a vote, Porteous has a vote and McGinn has a vote. So I think I'm going to have to put this out to the followers and the listeners on Twitter when this episode goes live. We'll put it to a wee poll and uh, either John McGinn, Ryan Porteous or Lyndon Dykes will win the Hamden Roar Scotland Player of the Year. Okay, so anyway, guys, that has been a magnificent, oh my God, hour and a half almost. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for your time, fellas. And we'll do what we normally do with the transfer window. Uh, listener, we will have a look at the Scottish moves either side of the border or maybe even Europe. Um, I think I just saw today, Fraser Hornby has moved to Bundesliga to play for Darmstadt, which is always nice seeing a, a striker get a move to a strong league. I think he, he'd been playing for Stade Reim in France, although I'm not sure to what extent he was playing. But anyway, yeah, um, move for Fraser Hornby. And we'll keep an eye across all of it and we'll do a podcast when we get into August on where the players are going and what we can be, maybe expect for the season ahead. And then before we know it, we'll be away to Cyprus and at home to England uh, for the centenary, uh, the anniversary match. So, yeah, lots to look forward to. Barry and Gordon, thanks very much for joining us and we'll catch up again soon. Podcast Network.